you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn to Hebrews chapter 1. Um, that's going to be kind of a starting point for the, the text of the message this morning. Um, okay, and I'm going to do this. I hate to do it, but I'm going to do it. Um, can you guys on the wings move? You knew it was coming, didn't you, Linda? I, I saw, like, Linda's like, I told you, I told you, Leonard. I was right. I know, Matt. Um, it's one of those things, fall break, you know, I, I heard we were really, like, up last Sunday. Um, maybe it's just y'all don't like hearing me. Is that it, Ashley? <laughs> don't answer that, please. Don't answer that. Um, so, it's just hard to teach um, with everybody so spread out. Um, I, I'm also going to, because I, I know this is, I think, a little bit shorter message this morning, so I'm going to tell them myself. Um, I, there's, there's people that have asked me, why do you sit down? And I, I, this is such, like, one of those weird things. But I found, I don't like the podium between me and, like, who I'm teaching. That, that was, like, one of those things, even when I was in doing youth ministry, I always had it set to the side. So what I found myself doing all the time is I was standing with my toes hanging over. And so then there was like one, that one Sunday that I was like about slipped and fell. And this is a long fall. So I don't, I just started trying to sit down and it, it actually felt more comfortable. And I didn't feel like I'm like mentally jumping hoops um, while I'm standing up here on stage. I know that's silly, but it's just one of those things. Um, so this morning, yes, Don, Hebrews chapter 1. You're welcome. And if you, if you have like a ribbon in your Bible, you're, it's, I, can you put bookmarks in your electronic Bibles? You can, Mark? Okay. So if you, have a, if you can do that, I'll also tell you we're going to be in Psalm 102 later. That's going to be more of the main text. But I'm going to give you some introductory thoughts around a couple passages in Hebrews and James. And if you don't want to do Bible drill and turn there, that's fine this morning. Um, th- so we're still in our Pillars of Our Faith, or the, the series, The Pillars of Our Faith. Um, this morning's title to the message is The Person of God. What is God like? Okay, now I, I want to pause on that because I think it's a really important question. I'm going to unpack that. What is God like? Um, I, uh, I, if, you've, if you do much reading, um, how many of you have read A.W. Tozer's The Pursuit of God? Um, I, I would say that's a book most people have read. Um, he's got a great statement. It's often quoted in that book. It's, he says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Uh, that's, that's so often quoted because I think there's a lot of truth to that. You know, what we think about God is the most important thing about us. It's not just necessarily our personality. It's, it's really what he's trying to, to get at is our relationship with the Lord and what we think and how we contemplate the things of God are essentially what define us. Because ultimately, I I can defend this, because we're created in the image of God. We're created to know Him and to worship Him. And and to, uh, if we look at the Westminster Shorter Catechism, the first question is what? Man's chief end, or what is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever, right? And so it's such a powerful idea that everything about us is really defined by what we think about the Lord. And so this morning, when we contemplate the person of God and we answer that question, what, he, what is he really like, it's essential for us. If we miss the, a full understanding, and I say that, and I almost go, we can't have a full understanding, okay, because we can't fully comprehend God. But in, in the sense that we're continuing to develop those thoughts and understand him more fully, that is what defines us. That's what makes us healthy in our relationship with him. So I want to give, give you two ideas that we're going to look at this week and next week. The first is we're going to answer this question, what is God like? And I want to give you like why that's so essential and important. Because when we answer that question about what is God like, we're looking at his nature, his, uh, what it is to be essential to his being, okay? That, that we're not just considering all the things that he does, that, that's important, but we need to understand what is essential to God's being. What is he really like? What does his nature consist of? The second question that we're going to look at next week is who is God? That deals with, and and, uh, as I wrote this, I thought, oh man, I'm going to probably crack a little bit of a a topic that is, um, how should I say this, Uh, I guess a little sensitive in our culture, because we're, we're looking at who God is. It's his personal identity. And when we talk about identity today, we're looking at 
people's choices about that, right? That, does that make sense, what, I, what I'm getting at? Because the, the LGBTQ plus community, and I, I, don't, I can't keep up with all the, the vowels they're adding into that acrostic, right, or whatever it is. Um, so I'm just going to go back with what's traditionally there because there's something else, right? I or I, I don't even, what, Daniel's like two, three more things. Okay, I'm not even going there. Y'all get it. In our culture, identity is determined by choice, right? It's like how we want to choose to base our identity on certain things. That is not how God is defined. That's truly not how we are defined in our identity biblically either, right? If we look at the biblical authority, we are identified by who God has created us to be, that we are in his image, that he has created us male and female. We go back to the beginning of those things, and that removes all of that selective choice and uh, sub- subjectivity. It goes back to an objectivity. And so why we need to understand what God is like first, because that's his nature, and then who God is, his personal identity, how he acts in relationship to us is also important. And so when we are looking at this, and, and you guys have probably looked at these kind of things before, uh, Michael started doing this last week, dealing with, I think, promises and faithfulness of God is uh, what he was addressing. Um, we, we look at the attributes of God and how he operates in relationship with us. And so, so that's the, the next couple of weeks, okay? Um, so I, I wanted to start this um, with a, a, a little lesson, hopefully. How many of you have ever worked through the Westminster Shorter Catechism by chance? So, so raise your hands. Be, be proud of that. Oh, yes, my uh, folks from California, your dad probably instilled. Did y'all do all of them? Not all of them? Okay. Okay. Do you still remember them, Dave? Okay, excellent, excellent. Oh, I should have him come up. <laughs> so, so obviously, um, I, I, I love the, the Shorter Catechism. Here's how I was introduced to it. When I went to seminary, um, I had a friend that his wife actually went to King College up in Bristol, Tennessee area, and he started telling me that she actually got a $1,000 scholarship um, for having the, the Shorter Catechism memorized. Um, and I was like, well, that's brilliant. And I was like, what's, what's that about? You know, if you can... And so I started looking at them. I was like, man, these are just really helpful tools. So we would teach our kids. Um, uh, I remember being at camp, um, and Christian was probably three. I mean, he was still bald at that point. Um, and he was bald till he was about eight. Oh, no. But he, he was so small. We would have him come up on stage, and we would do the catechism for the kids, just trying to show them a little bit about what it was. It was kind of like this little puppet moment for us as proud parents and all that stuff. Anyhow, the... Um, so the first question is about man's chief end. The second, two questions, second and third, address the authority and importance of Scripture. And then the fourth question that we're going to look at in a minute addresses the person of God. Now, what's interesting, I, I talk about Westminster Shorter Catechism and, and those kind of things, and obviously I mentioned Presbyterian, but I'm glad there's some Baptists here who have also employed these things. Um, because of my historical research, Charles Spurgeon, interestingly enough, he developed his own catechism. Now, here's what he said about this. Now, he said this as a 21-year-old pastor, okay? So, I, I want to put that in context. So, he started pastoring literally when he was about 16 years old. So, he's five years into this, moving into his, like, major first church, and um, he's set this pattern for worship in his, his church family. And listen to what he says, why he thinks this is so important. He says, and, and by the way, Spurgeon's a Baptist, okay? He, I don't want that to be lost. He says, I am persuaded that the use of a good catechism in all our families will be a, a great safeguard against the increasing errors of the times. And therefore, I have compiled this little manual from the Westminster As- Assemblies and Baptist Catechism. So he's basically taken the Westminster Catechism and some Baptists, and he said, I'm putting them together and fusing the best of both worlds, okay? For the use of my own church and congregation, those who use it, in their families or classes, must labor to explain the sense. I like that. So it, it both guards us, but it also forces us to do explanation and, and further study. So it's not just this like crutch tool, it's also this inspirational tool by which we develop our thinking about the Lord. Take that back to what I mentioned about Tozer earlier. So he says, um, he goes on, but the words should be carefully learned by heart, for they will be understood better 
as years pass. Have, have you guys that have studied catechisms found that to be true? Like, like when I started doing this with Christian and Rebecca, um, and we did it with Julian too, but um, when I started doing this, I was like, oh, these are good thoughts. They're good thoughts. But the longer I've walked with the Lord, it's like those thoughts really like drive me deeper. And it, it becomes both foundational, but also driving me to, to better contemplation. So he, he says, um, last statement, may the Lord bless my dear friends and their families evermore is the prayer of their loving pastor. So, so it's like he utilized these things as a, a prayerful tool for his folks. There we go. All right, sweet. Thanks so much, Danny. Um, we've been, I want us to, to look at the fourth question, but I, I want to set this up just a little bit, um, just for language's sake. You guys know what the word mutate means, right? To change. I'm not going there, Gina. I'm not ruining this. Um, Gina's given me this illustration that if you hear this illustration, it will ruin your understanding of God for life, right? It will. It's not funny. Uh, uh, will y'all promise me, if I share this, you will not make fun of me. You can make fun of Gina. And, and when, when we talk about this important word, you will not giggle ever again because we're dealing with who God or what God is like. So she's like, oh, Matt, this is a perfect illustration. Think, think about the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. They changed. They morphed. I'm like, everybody knows what mutate is. Why do I have to go to the Mutant Ninja Turtles, TMT? So here's the point, okay? God is immutable. So, so we, we use these words, like, like for instance, if something, if I want to escape something, that's a simple word. But if something is inescapable, inescapable what does that mean? It can't be escaped, right? It, it can't be overcome for one to escape it. Here's another one. If something is finite, it means it is, say it loud. Bound, okay? It's limited, right? But we also put the I-N, infinite, what does that mean? It's without limit, okay? Here's another one. If someone is experienced at something, we know that they have some kind of uh, understanding and they've walked through something before. If someone's inexperienced, limited in that idea, right, they have no experience in that, all right? So we we often in, in English language employ that little prefix, I in or I am, to negate something, okay? So when we talk about the idea of change, we use the word mutate. But in theological terms, it's the immutable God. He is unchanging in all things. Does that make sense? And, and so that's, that's an important word that we need to, to reflect on. Because I think sometimes when theologians use these terms, the negative actually communicates better than the positive. Like, he doesn't change. Well, okay, that idea of, of doesn't puts it in action. Immutable means he's never even able to change. So, even though the word here is unchanging, I, I just wanted to introduce that thought. So, here's what the, the fourth question of the Westminster Shorter Catechism is. What is God? Now, does anybody remember it? Okay. I, I'm sure some of you do. God is a spirit, and, and I want to make sure I get these right. Infinite, eternal, and unchangeable. Now, here's where it gets. So, so that's like thought, talking about his being. God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable. We could stop it right there, okay? Because that is the essence and being and person of God in his nature. Does that make sense? Okay, this means yes. I know it's fall break. <laughs> Are you all with me? This means no. This means explain further, okay? If you like shrug your shoulders and throw your hands up. Is everybody with me? This, uh, thanks, okay. Um, I've got a, a little Ryan boy. Just elbow him for me, either one of y'all or both of you. Do it in stereo. Yeah, there you go. Keep him awake too. So that addressing his being is so essential, Infinite, eternal, and unchangeable. Now, it goes on to describe how and like in what areas that is dealing with specifics of his attributes. It says, in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. Whoa. You, you see why that 
is so valuable of a question and answer to like develop our theology from, um, in, in, like in line with that. It's, it's pointing to Scripture ultimately, and I want to I remind us of that. Okay, but it, it is such a helpful tool to, to to hang on to, to cling on to, because it's so concise. So God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in His being. Boom. <laughs> Wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. When we think about what He is like in all of those areas of how He relates to us, it is such an important truth for us to contemplate on, for us to cling to, for us to, to understand how and why that is the truth. So, my intent this morning is really this, is to unpack how that's true, okay? Not just to give you the, the catechism, but to, to really unpack it and understand why the study of what God is like is important, okay? So, I want us to now turn to Hebrews 1. Let's look at this together, Hebrews 1, 3. And this is specifically referring to the person of Jesus, but I think that the writer of Hebrews, we don't know who that is, um, but, but we know that uh, the early church uh, affirmed this book. And they, uh, we, we see that the writer emphasizes the person of Christ here. So he says in verse 3, He, that's, this is being Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God. Now here's where it gets really important. And the exact imprint of his nature. Boom. That is like such a statement. It's like drop the mic for sure. Because when we think about how God has revealed himself to us in the person of Christ. It's not just that he's a represent, representative. It's that he is the exact imprint of his nature. Everything about Jesus is exactly the person of God. That's what we've looked at in previous weeks. That this uh, Godhead is one being, one in essence being, and three persons. And Jesus here reflects that perfectly. And the writer of Hebrews understands that. This is where that idea of the Trinity, the three in one, is, is certainly meted out. Okay? Now, let's keep reading here. And he says, And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. What a great passage for us to recognize that this nature and being of God is represented in the person of Christ. So we, we see this um, idea further uh, emphasized. Turn over to Hebrews 13.8. Hebrews 13.8, we read, the, read this. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. That is an incredibly important statement that identifies the eternality, the infinite aspect of Jesus' nature, which it goes back to that understanding of why the Westminster uh, Shorter Catechism makes those points about the nature of God being eternal and infinite, or infinite and eternal. So I'm, I'm going to stretch your thinking just a minute this morning. I was reading something um, by a guy named Gerald Bray. Has anybody read anything by Gerald Bray? Okay. Um, if you haven't and you want to, like, study the doctrine of God, he's got some really, like, there's, there's two different works. One's really short. One's a, a quite a bit longer. But in the, the longer one of the, the works, um, he, he addresses the importance of time. And I thought, man, this is, this is significant. Now, this is philosophical, but I, I think this is a, an important fact for us to identify. When we talk about things like in the past, the, let me actually go this way, right? Past, present, future for you as you're looking at things, right? So from the past, the present, and the future. Do you realize we talk about living in the present, like that's a, a very important point, but when we do that, what does it immediately become? It's immediately the past. We can't like cling to the present. Does that make sense? We're, we're really always kind of looking at the past or the future. The present is now the past. Like, how do you do that? Did, did you just like go, oh, no. <laughs> Everything I thought about the present is now a mess. Thanks, Matt. So here's Bray's interesting point of this. When God gives us his name, what does he give his name, his proper name to be? Come on. No, it's not a trick question. What does he give his name to be? 
I am. So, so that term is God of the present. Follow what, I, what Bray's getting at and why that's so significant for us. His nature, his being is infinite and eternal. He is the only one that can oversee all that is present. Isn't that cool? I, I, I read that and I was like, okay, I, I need like, that's, that's like changing my thinking about a lot of things. And I need to unpack that a lot more. I need to contemplate that a lot, a, a, a longer time. But, but I think when we think about the idea that God is eternal, infinite and eternal and unchangeable, immutable, that he never changes, that's how he is God of the present. Makes sense, doesn't it? And so that's why he's worthy of our worship. Because we can't contain the present, folks. We, we, we can't even like really live in it and stay in it for any like moment to enjoy it. It's, it's already gone. And something's going to come and something's going to change. But God is always God of the present. And I think that's a, an important thing why the writer of Hebrews identifies Jesus the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's that idea that in his own nature, being the exact imprint of God's nature, he is the God of time too. Does that make sense? And so when we think about him being the one that upholds all of creation by his hand, he is the one that's also present all the time. What an amazing being this God is. What he is like is unfathomable. There's that negative term again, right? We can't really comprehend him. He is what? incomprehensible. We, we begin to understand him. And, and he certainly wants us to approach him because he's revealed himself to us through the scripture that we might grow in our knowledge of him. That's why, to me, the study of theology is so fun. It's so rich. It's so, um, I, I guess, immeasurable that, that we can't plumb its depths. We can't explore the, the breadth of it. It's, it's something that we ought to always pursue and enjoy that pursuit because God is going to continually reveal himself to us. So let, let me give you one more passage. And you'll, we've looked at this, but I want to go back to this because I think it helps us understand again what God is like, this eternality, infinite and unchangeable. James 1.17. So it should be like just the next page where you are in Hebrews. Last passage, and we're going to go to, to Psalm 102. So in, in James 1.17, he makes, James makes this statement, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. There is that one of those clear passages that, that addresses the unchangeable nature, the immutability of God. That God does not change, he does not vary in any way. And so when we go back to the Westminster Shorter Catechism, we need to think about how there's no variation. And I think this is why that, pat, that, that question and answer is so uh, valuable to us and because of its succinctness um, and the clarity. He's unchangeable in his being, in his wisdom, in his power, in his holiness, in his justice, in his goodness, in his truth. Every one of those attributes, God never changes in. And when we think about what God is like, we have to recognize that he is, is immutable in those ways, and that will impact our understanding of him and our response to him. We're going to look at that in a minute. So now, turn over to Psalm 102. I think this is uh, another important passage that we need to look at. So we're going to, and, and it, this is one of those psalms, I wish I could take like a whole lot more time to read the whole thing, um, because I think when you do that, there, there's enough context to go back and, and recognize all the things, but I want to highlight this um, in verses 1 and 2, and then we're going to jump down to 25. So, so listen to, to this. This is a, a, titled, A Prayer of One Afflicted, when he is, is faint and pours out his complaint before the Lord. So he, he's, this, this psalmist is down, he's struggling but here's what he's doing. He's pouring out his complaint and prayer to the Lord. And here's what he, how he begins. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Let my cry come to you. Do not hide your face from me in the day of my distress. Incline your ear to me. Answer me speedily in the day when I will call. So you hear this longing 
for, for him to have a, a change, for him to engage with the, the mighty God. And so through the course of the prayer, he's in this dialogue with, with his uh, heavenly father about his needs. And then here's what he comes down to in verses 25 and 27. It's like he hits this, oh yeah, I, I need to remember these truths because in my distress, these truths are what help me to maintain a faithfulness to the Lord and find confidence with him. So listen to verses 25, 26, and 27. Of old, you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. There's that idea of immutability, eternal, uh, eternality, infinity. They will all wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe, and they will pass away. But you are the same, and your years have no end. What an incredible picture. How many of you, um, I, I, for some reason, I've just taken like a real interest in the moon this month, um, just watching it, you know, not, not like in a, uh, a astrology, astronomy sense, not astrology, astronomy sense. Um, sorry, I was trying to get the terms right. So uh, has anybody else paid attention to the moon like this month? It really, like the first of the month, um, or I guess it was when the, the waxing, it was like this really thin crescent, um, like really beautiful um, it was a clear night. And then it's kind of gone through the, the um, I guess that was on the waning, and then it started waxing, and it's almost like went to the full, and now it's back on the, the waxing side. And it's just been some clear fall nights, and I love that. Um, have you all noticed like how it can pop orange this time of year? Um, and fortunately, it's not Tennessee orange. Okay, right, right Don? <laughs> and fortunately, it's not Alabama red. It tends to be more of an orange, like Auburn orange, Right? <laughs> So if you, if you know the SEC rivalries, you get that, um, War Eagle. Um, so, uh, but it, it's this idea that even as constant as the heavens are, there's change within them, right? And, and, and to me, having that ability to go out and look at the stars and the sun and the moon and, and enjoy those things, there's, there's something comforting about knowing that they're there even behind the clouds, knowing that in some fall night those, those lights and stuff will come up and they'll be beautiful to, to look at. But the, 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 the fact is, how are they described by the psalmist? That, that they're perishing, that, that they're going to be discarded like a robe. Now, here's the idea of the word perish, okay? I think this is important for us to understand. That, that idea doesn't mean like it's going to wither and fall away and it's going to be annihilated and, and done away with. It really emphasizes the idea of change, and I think that's why the, the metaphor that the psalmist uses in, in verse 25, I'm sorry, verse 26, he says, they will perish, but you will remain. He said, they will wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe. So here's the image, the metaphor that he's giving is like, like a garment. You, you know, when you get old clothes, like I was going through some uh, old clothes this weekend, uh, cleaning out, and I had some threadbare stuff, and I was like, I'm, they're threadbare. I just need to get rid of them, right? Because they're, they're just going to tear and they're not going to be worth anything anymore. And so it's like toss them out. So, so it's not that they've just gone totally eaten by the moss and they're just totally gone, but their worth, their value is no longer going to fulfill what I need them to fulfill. And so when you think about a robe that's being worn out, what do you, what do, you do with it? You would probably fold it up, and that's what I did as I tried to fold them up and compress them as much as I could, and then I put them in the trash. They just wouldn't take up a lot of space. That's the idea is when we have these garments that have been worn out, we fold them up and we put them away. But the contrast is what? That the Lord never changes. That His duration, now, now I think this is a key, because look at the text again. There's two, there's two descriptions of Him. The first is this. Verse 26, the second part, um, you will change them like a robe and they will pass away. But you are the same. That, that would be like there's no variation, there's no change. He is immutable. What God is like is there is no change and flexibility in him in, in that sense that he is not going to mutate in any way. Okay? That, now, the second part of this is your years have no end. That would be like the duration. So, when you think about 
the change in the stars and the heavens and the, the waxing and the waning of the moon or the, the, the sun itself that it's emitting light and heat, but there's also flares and all that. It's, it's constantly changing, flexing in that sense. And we know that those things are impacted and upheld by the Lord himself. But with the Lord, there is duration. Why did I have us read Hebrews 13, 8? Because Jesus is the same today or yesterday, today, and forever. The duration of the Lord in that infinite and eternal nature of who he is will not be tossed away. Folks, we need to understand what God is like. So when we think about him being eternal, infinite, and unchangeable in his being, it's essential for us to to grab a hold of that at some level and find confidence in this. So, when, when we think about this, and I, I want to go back to, to this for just a moment, because I've talked about some of these characteristics or these attributes of God. Now, I, I want us to expand on this a little bit. If he were to change in his wisdom, so, so let's take a look at this. If, if God's being was not uh, it, it, unchangeable, if he was a God of change, or he, if he was not a God who endured, but he was a God who waffled, okay? What would that do to those attributes? So think about this. If, his, if, he, if he were to change in his wisdom, then his will and judgments could not be trusted. That, that needs to, we need to like hang on that for a second. That needs to rest our thoughts. Because of who God is in his being, in his wisdom, all of his will and his justice or judgments can be trusted because he is good in all of those things. Even when it feels bad, even when it puts me in tension because of my sin and my struggle, because I can't maintain that temporal moment of the present because I'm always wrestling through the past things that I've done or experienced and what I want for the future, God is God of eternality. He is the God of every moment, and I can trust his wisdom in all things. Think about this. If he changed in his knowledge, like like we thought we could surprise God with some kind of thing, his omniscience would falter, and then his promises would be be but mere hunches, like guesswork. And he would be an object unfit of our trust. We, we, we wouldn't want a God who couldn't fulfill His promise. We'd be like, well, is that going to come true? Is, is that prophecy going to be worthy uh, of our commitment and trusting? You know, everything that He's done in covenant commitment, all these things would be like tossed up to the wind. But because He is unchanging in His knowledge, we can trust Him. If you were to change in His power, then his sovereignty would not exist. Folks, I need a God who is sovereign. I, I don't need a Greek God that, that capitulates to every kind of whim that they experience or that their power is limited by some other God or by some human appeal to, to, to a frustration of a demigod. We, we need a God who is sovereign in his power to uphold all things and uphold them consistently with his wisdom, according to his will, according to his just and, and righteousness. Here's, an, here's another idea. If he were to change in his justice, and that's probably the area that most of us have the biggest problem with. We, we, we struggle with God's justice because we say, well, that's not fair. Folks, we sang it. Mason led us into this morning. He, he is the one who gives and takes away. Blessed is the name of the Lord. Why? Because his justice, he is always right. He never changes in the administration of his justice. If if he did change, he'd be a whimsical, capricious God, and and we wouldn't know how to relate and respond to anything he did. And, And that would be unfair. Truthfully, that would be unfair. By the way, I'm going to speak to this really quickly. This is just kind of off the cuff. Um, 
when we went through the, the um, answering CRT stuff with the youth um, last winter, fall, fall, winter, um, we used this illustration that, that the folks that pro are proponents of CRT um, utilize. And, and if you've seen this, it's a little kind of cartoon. They have three guys standing outside a baseball field uh, behind the fence, looking in to the, you know, their perspective is in to the infield, okay? And, and each of them, there's like, they're different heights. There's a small, uh, small guy, like would be really short. There's a medium-sized guy. And then there's this tall guy. Um, and each of them, there's three boxes there, and they're all standing on the boxes. Well, the, the shortest guy can't see over the fence. The, the middle-sized guy, he can like maybe peek over. The tall guy on the, uh, he's, it's like the fence is like here. And so they, they say equity would be for each of them to like be able to see over the fence. So they shuffle the boxes so everybody can see properly, okay? Great theory in one sense. But here's where equity and fairness are debunked in this. If, you were to, if I were to ask you, where is the best seat in a baseball park? Where, where, where might you say? Behind home plate, Steve. That's my, my thought. I was a catcher in, when I played baseball. My dad was a catcher, so he trained us up in that. I like that perspective because the catcher, you see you're involved in every play, and you see the entirety of every play. That's why I think, personally, being behind home plate would be it. You see the angles of the pitches. You see the swing. You see how the ball goes off the bat and the direction. You know. But here's the point. Let's say those guys are all outside the fence. There's no equity with them still standing outside the fence, right? How can we gain equity if, if we said, okay, look at every, we did a poll and the, the, the poll proved that behind home plate was the best seat. Could we get everybody in the same seat? There's no way. Okay, now I know that's an illustration, but, but the illustration, most illustrations break down anyhow. But here's my point. Can we fully gain or gain full equity in anything in life? There's no way, okay? The only equity we have is this. We're sinners and that there's grace. That's the equity. And who God is provides all of the only potential for equity that we have in life. And we could spend hours and hours dialoguing and debating all those things. But folks, when people look at world systems, they're going to fail finding that. So here's, let me go back to my point. If we're looking for fairness, the ultimate only way we find fairness is when God doesn't change and he meets out his justice according to his wisdom and his understanding and his omniscience and his power because he is good and right in all things always, never wavering, never failing, never changing, enduring the same in the same way for all of time. That's why, folks, it's so important for us to understand what God is like. Because that's how we, one, worship Him rightly, building our faith. Two, that's how we defend our faith as people ask us questions. So I want to give you some implications now, okay? Because I, I think that leans into this anyhow. But here, here's what I want to remind you of. First of all, this is an important little fact, Okay. Hebrews is a New Testament book that quotes the Psalms more than any other book in the Bible. Okay, and I can't remember the number. When I taught through Hebrews, I, I knew that fact and all that stuff. It's, it's a, a high number, like um, well in the 20s if I remember right. Interestingly enough, if you look back at Hebrews 1, maybe you still have a ribbon there. Um, I do, so I'm going to cheat there. Um, look at verse 10 if you're there, and it says this. And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe. You will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed, but you are the same, and your years will have no end. Psalm 102, 25 through 27 is quoted right there. Now, here's what's interesting. So, so the, the, the writer of Hebrews is connecting these dots about the person of Christ, and we see that from the beginning to the end, in this psalm in the middle, in emphasizing the, the divine nature and the divine person of Jesus. And then here's why he does that. He gives us the reason. Listen to verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we will drift from it. Whoa, whoa, whoa. See, if we don't understand to some level what God is like, what is the danger for us? 
we will drift. We will drift. And folks, churches in our age and era are drifting. Believers in our age and era are drifting. And I would feel like I was failing you miserably as a pastor, as an elder of our church, if I didn't guard our doctrine and encourage you the way to maintain consistency, to be anchored, is to know what God is like, to know what Jesus himself is like, so that you are anchored in the truth that you would not drift. But instead, you would be sure, and that you would have a pillar of faith by which you would be anchored so that you can have a defense for your faith, that when life comes at you, just like what Mason read out of Job, you would be certain that God is still in control. And so despite all of the chaos, all of the crazy things that are going on in life, all the things that the world impacts us with, we would be grounded in the truth. So to know what God is like is at the forefront of that. That's why I think that the Westminster Shorter Catechism, the guys that developed that, they got it right to put that really is What's our, our goal to, to know, know and enjoy God? What's the authority of the Scripture? First two questions. And then the very next question is, what is God like? And we would know that. Now, here's the further implications. Okay, so first is to anchor us. Second, the writer of Hebrews goes on to tell us these truths about Jesus. So it keeps us from drif- drifting. So, so identify the nature. Let me get, go through these first so implications. This will help if you're taking notes. The first implication is to identify that this is the very nature of Jesus. This is God and Jesus, that they are one. We need to remember that. And I'm not dismissing the Holy Spirit just because I'm not hanging on that. But this is about like a Christocentric moment, okay? So same nature. Jesus is the same nature as God. Second, it, it anchors us, keeps us from drifting. Third, when we know that God is unchangeable in His being and His ways, we realize His holiness and righteousness And I want you to hear this. When we recognize His holiness and righteousness, it also brings up that mirror and says, we are sinners. And we need the righteousness of Christ to be imputed or counted or credited to us so that we are found righteous, not by our own works, not by anything that we've done, Ephesians 2, but according to the righteousness of Christ. That's where our stability is. That's where our hope is. It's not in us. It's in the person of Jesus Christ, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Fourth implication. Our faith in Him and the working out of our faith is sure. Because He who began a good work in us is faithful to complete it. See, if it wasn't for the faithfulness of God, folks, we would wander. We would drift. We would fall short all of the time. We still do. But because of His faithfulness, He continues to do work in us through the Holy Spirit who has sealed us until the day of redemption. It's it's essential for us. So, rightly knowing Him, according to a right understanding of His nature, impacts our ability to trust Him, to pray to Him, to worship Him, and to enjoy Him. So, really simple question. If you're not, or, or like, like maybe you're struggling to trust Him. Maybe you're struggling to pray to Him. Maybe you're struggling to really understand and enjoy worship of Him. My guess is that you're really not taking time to contemplate who He is according to the truth of Scripture and how He's revealed Himself specifically to us. That's a simple remedy. It's just enjoy Him. Get into the Word. Understand. Study Him. Look at His person. Look at how He's revealed Himself to us and find great confidence in that. we got a minute. Unusual. I know. The goal is five uh, or a quarter after. Do y'all have questions or thoughts? I covered it that well. Bunch of liars. I'm teasing. (laughs) 
So, so I would encourage you with this. Everything about God is still mysterious. We, we see through a veil dimly. That, that's humbling, okay? But, but be humbled by that. Don't be put off by that. Does that, do you understand the difference? When we feel inadequate, discouraged, deflated, a lot of times what we do is we avoid. Don't let that be the course of action when we contemplate the high things of God and we, when we recognize that the veil may be thick at moments, okay, and feel really dense. Don't, don't stop because of that. Actually just say, that's a little bit more reason for me to, to try to pull back the veil a little bit, to, to investigate the scriptures and to contemplate the things of him. And, and I want to encourage us as a body, because I think this is probably the, the, the other hard place, is when we don't feel like we've got an understanding of those things well, we tend to drift into other conversations about things and fellowship around those instead of like trying to drive each other deeper. Folks, the scripture is very clear that, that as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. This is simply, I would remind you, yes, it's inspired. The scripture, yes, it's inspired. But it's still men. The Lord used those men to write to us. We're still addressing the thoughts and the ideas of men. They're sharpening us. So, so don't shelf the Bible. Remember that it's God's specific revelation to us. Use the Scripture. Explore these things. Because if we will do that together well, just the, the, the kind of like working it out together, the Lord will honor that. If we don't do it at all and, and we're like avoiding, then, then He can't accomplish the sharpening in and through us. So, I really want to do this. I want to challenge my men, my brothers. Will we be guys that, that figure out how to have these kind of contemplative conversations with one another? And I'm all, I'm all for the sports stuff and you know, hunting stuff and weapons. I, I own handguns and some shotguns and stuff. It's fun. I love to shoot. It's, it's not a taboo topic. I, I, you know, we, we don't have to get into those things and, and go, oh, those are wrong. We have diversity of interest. I'm probably the only guy in here that, that grew up playing tennis. Cameron, you, you, did you play tennis? That's Okay, because you, okay, you, we talked about it the other day. Faith's laughing. <laughs> like, no, could you see him playing tennis? No, I'm just picking. Um, so that, that was my sport, okay? Did anybody else play tennis growing up? Okay, so, so tennis is off the, the, the chart, okay? We're not going to talk tennis, but I can sit down and talk tennis. I had a friend, we, we talked for, for tennis uh, for about an hour and a half on a trip a couple weeks ago because he was a tennis player. We were like going through all the players. I get it, it's off topic, okay? But we can, we can find all those things. That's my point. What, what connects us? But folks, those are all good things, but let us be connected in our conversation about the Lord because if we will do that, the Lord will be the greatest desire of our hearts, and we will enjoy Him more, more thoroughly, more wholly, not, not in the righteous sense, but in the entirety sense. Because it's when we get together and we talk about these things and contemplate these things that we really begin to enjoy Him differently. And that, that's a real practical encouragement. And it's hard. It's hard. But I want to encourage you men. Why men? Because how we go will be how the church goes. It will be how more important to you probably, how your family will go. That's your spouse and your children. And that will be one day, if the Lord tarries, your grandchildren and generations to come. And if we don't, we don't, I'm afraid that the generations will be lost. You say, well, my wife's doing it with her friends. It's not enough. It's not enough. Be men who do this. Women, encourage your husbands to do this. Don't be afraid to talk about it with them. Share what you're reading. Guys, I shared this with Danny a couple months ago. Guys, we want to be out ahead of our wives. Not for pride's sake, but to make sure that we're guarding them well. It's our responsibility. Okay? So I took the last five minutes.
Anything else? Okay, I want to read one last statement. I came across this in studies, and I thought, this is just so cool. It's also part of this humbling stuff. Augustine wrote this. Um, he was uh, working through like a, a, a it's called tracks, but basically it's kind of like a, his own commentary. And this would have been in the late 300s, 385 to 400-ish um, is when, if I remember my dates correctly, when Augustine lived. And so he was writing on the Gospel of John. And on chapter 3, verses 22 through 29, he's, he's exploring this idea of who Jesus is, okay? And then he makes this statement. And I think this is a good statement for us to end on because it, it reminds us of the humility, our inability to fully comprehend, but it also reminds us that, that though we can't fully comprehend, we are to pursue these things. Here's what he says. All things can be said of God, and nothing is worthily said of God. Now, I'm going to continue on, okay? So hang on there. All things can be said of God, but what we say of Him is it's like we can't really make it worthy of Him. That, that's what he's getting at, okay? Nothing is wider than this poverty of expression. Thou seekest a fitting name for Him, thou cannot find it. Thou seek to speak of Him in any way soever, thou findest He is all. Man, oh man. The fact that God is all, He is the one who no one is like. He is infinite, eternal, and unchanging in His wisdom, in His being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. We can't fully comprehend Him, but boy, the joy of trying is worth it. It is worth every bit. Mason, will you come and lead us? We're going to sing a final song. And I want to pray for us as Mason's getting his uh, bazooki on and getting ready to leave. Heavenly Father, thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for revealing yourself specifically to us through it. And Lord, though we can't fully comprehend, Lord, nonetheless, you, you've given us terms and images and, and metaphors and uh, similes and all the like to, to help us begin to comprehend. And Lord, the joy of knowing you, what you're like, and next week even, in, as we're going to see, in who you are, and, and that's how you relate to us in covenant, is immeasurable and is worth our every effort. So Lord, if we're struggling, would we just be committed this morning to, to begin to peel back the, the layers of the, the veil, so to speak, and to invest in you and invest in the things of you and investigate who you are? And Lord, if there's someone here today that, that heard this and they, they've been um, being pursued and they're convicted over their sin, that they don't really know God through salvation, Lord, I pray that you would continue to do a work in them, that you would draw them to salvation and you, you um, just put such a burden on their hearts that they could not find relief from that until they surrender to the Lordship of Christ. And for those of us that know you, Lord, would you burden us with conversations and an appeal to the holiness of who you are in such a way that you would be exalted and we would find you as our greatest joy. So, Father, as we sing now, Lord, let it be a song that recognizes that you alone are the holy, righteous God worthy of our worship. We bless you in the name of Jesus. Amen.